Good morning, Fellowship Benville. Could you all stand and worship with us today?
Y'all can have a seat. Good morning, friends, and welcome. Happy 4th of July weekend. Hope you're able to slow down a little bit and enjoy some time with community and friends and family. And it's not just 4th of July weekend. This is our first Sunday of the month. So hopefully you're catching on to that rhythm because that means we have a lot of high schoolers here in this service with us. Man. Thank you, Plunkett, for the shout-out applause. Uh, we love getting to do this each month. In fact, of all the things we've gotten to be kind of unique about as we've launched this campus, this one's probably my favorite because having spent seven years as a student pastor, I know what it feels like to kind of feel isolated on a Sunday morning sometimes, and that's nothing against what happens in that FSM room. Like, Kyle and Tori and Houston and Lauren do an incredible job with biblical truth and worship and connection and intentionality, but... As we were planning for this launch, we knew we needed a rhythm together because you guys bring so much life into our church. And so, students, we're stoked that you're here, okay? I'm such a dad, yeah. Um, all right, two of those students, come on up. We've got Stephen and Sarah. Um, and, wow. You want applause in here, just bring up high school students. So. They uh, just got back from a 15-hour bus ride yesterday, and I said Stephen and Sarah, and, and just so you know, they go by Sarah, which makes a lot of sense. This one goes by Bob, which is totally the first name that comes to mind when I look at you. And so, uh, Sarah, Bob, how are y'all feeling after the trip to Colorado? Yeah, I'm super stoked to be here. Wow, thank you. <laughs> thank you for that jab. Um, I'm definitely tired. I do have a nap scheduled today, but I'm feeling good. Hey, me too. It's all good. So if y'all don't know, this, this Colorado trip, we take our, our upcoming seniors. And so they just went with about 100 seniors and leaders and staff from various fellowship uh, campuses. And they get to get away, get away from electronics, go into the Rockies, experience the beauty of God's creation, um, get to have a lot of fun, connect with the Lord, connect with their cell group. So how did y'all experience that this last week, that connection with the Lord? Um, so for me personally, um, there were four things that we learned about in our talks this week, and it was identity, dedication, seeking the Lord, and obedience to the Lord, and the way that those play a role in our walk with Jesus and our relationship with Christ. And then um, I came into this week feeling kind of exhausted and just really prayerful that I would see the Lord and feel him and strengthen my relationship with him. And the Lord provided, so it was, although it was a week full of play, and um, at sometimes it felt like go, 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 it was also a week full of rest, and not, if, not necessarily always physical rest, but um, whether it was like peace during worship or cabin time, or even just um, seeing the Lord and his creation and the beauty around us. And then he also provided like a revival in my relationship with Jesus. Um, I saw him in really everything I was doing and was able to um, just seek Jesus and learn more about him and his characteristic this week. Yeah, that's super good. Um, personally, the Lord used Timberline as a time of revival in my walk with him, um, but he also used it um, to answer a lot of prayers that I had just been surrendering to him, specifically the prayer of like community. Um, I was always longing for a group of guys for like the past two years, um, but I never really had it until um, I feel like I realized one cabin time and we were just talking, um, talking about life and all of our struggles and what we're going through. And I just realized I have these guys to lean on, um, even in times of struggle and need, but also in times of just fun. Um, and I'm super thankful for the Lord for that. That's awesome. Um, and then for our cell group as a whole, 
um, I really saw the Lord work in two ways. He challenged us to be vulnerable with each other, and then we also, we all came into this week with a similar goal and desire to just know Jesus better and learn more about him, and so we would, as a group, we would wake up before breakfast pretty early and go just um, read scripture and talk about what we were reading, and it was so great to um, analyze scripture together and align um, with the girls around me, and then we were all challenged to be vulnerable, which isn't always something um, we've gotten to do or done in the past as a cell group, and getting to open up and just share our struggles and what's going on in our lives with the girls around us was really special, and we grew closer together, um, and we were able to get to know each other better, but also point each other towards Jesus and get to know the Lord better this week. Yeah, for sure. Um, first thing, where are my dogs at? <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> that was really bad. Um, that was great. That was perfect. Yeah, but seriously, the Lord used Timberline as a time to just bring unity to our cell group. Um, I can recall just one night we were discussing the question of who are you, and that is a loaded question. Um, but as soon as one person opened up um, and how they truly felt, the Lord just used that in all of our hearts, stirred our hearts, and we were all able to just share um, our struggles. Um, that really just pulled us all together. Um, and I want to share a scripture that just emulates that. It is Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I love it. And it's a good reminder for me that as we as a church pray, as we give, as we give our time, the, this is what we get to help provide as a space for these uh, high school, junior high students to connect and to grow in their walks with the Lord, because we say it all the time, they're not the future of the church, they are the church today. And so we're grateful for you guys and for y'all being here to worship uh, with us this morning. One of my favorite things to do when I went on these trips was just to wake up early and sit outside and just watch the sunrise and see all that God had created and just be with him. And we wanna do that this morning. It's part of the reason that we gather to worship. It's not just to worship Jesus, it's to, to behold his beauty together, to worship him together. Now, this room is not the Rockies. Um, it's cool, but I get that. It doesn't look as pretty. So what I want us to do as we enter into a time of song is everybody just close your eyes where you're at. And I want you to picture a place that just reveals the beauty of God and his majesty and his creation. It could be the mountains for you or for, for some of you, the beach or streams of water, the universe or the skies. But just sit in that moment. And I want you to picture God speaking that into existence because that's how it came to be. He spoke those words and that beauty arrived. And he did it knowing he would create you individually so that you could experience that as well. And so this morning, I want you to sit in that beauty and invite him in here. Invite him into your heart to change your heart, to be present, to, to calm your fears, to take on your burdens, the things that are weighing you down, and to meet us in this place. It's with that posture of worship that we sing together.
have a seat.
of God's mercy in light of his loving kindness ever on you and me Romans 12 1 Paul encourages us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to lay ourselves before God place your life before God let it be a holy and pleasing sacrifice to him that is what worship really is. That's true and proper worship, is to just give your life in response to the mercy of God, to all his goodness directed toward you, that you just turn around and live a life of gratefulness and praise to him. So through our offering this morning, it's an opportunity to orient yourself and put place yourself before God, to lay your life down as a pleasing sacrifice. As we sing these songs this morning, it's an opportunity for your heart to be oriented toward God, to place yourself before Him. 
and offer yourself to you. As we listen to teaching this morning, it's an opportunity to receive from him, to see him for who he is, so that we can then walk out of this place and respond with our lives by placing ourselves before God, mindful of his presence in our life, and just saying, God, thank you for all that you've done. Let today be about you. Let's worship. We're going to be talking about worship in a minute. We've been doing it. Let's continue to do it.
Lord, you are altogether lovely, altogether worthy, altogether wonderful. And so we come into this place to worship, Lord. Take away the distractions. Open our hearts, engage our minds. Lord, and on this holiday weekend, I'm reminded that I'm grateful that we live in a place where we can worship you freely. I've been in those places around the world where you can't worship freely. You can't pray openly. You have to guard your every move. But not here. Lord, we can gather like this and we can lift up your name and thank you for all that you've done for us. Oh, Lord, speaks to us this morning from your word. As you've already done through these songs. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So you are the ones who didn't get to go anywhere for the holiday. And you're not stuck in an airport somewhere, right? Yeah, that's the good side of it. It's good to see all of you, and uh, I want to bring something to your attention. Uh, if you're new to fellowship, you may not know this, that we have eight congregations beneath our care network. They're in the Rogers campus, Fayetteville campus, Benville campus. You are the congregation right now. We hope to add another within the next year or two. We'd like to have Celebrate Recovery here in Bentonville. But then we also have Samaritan Church. This is the first anniversary, this weekend is the first anniversary that we adopted and brought the Samaritan churches uh, underneath our care network. Before that, they, we were closely associated with them, but they, they weren't under our care, but now they are, and they're doing a fantastic job. In the last month, I've visited both congregations and been a part of their services, just participating with them, and I've been so impressed with what they're doing. You're not familiar with Samaritan churches. They, they work with the homeless. Uh, they work with those who are less fortunate. And they work the meal lines during the week, letting them know that they have a place that they can worship on Sunday. And I just want to invite you, go visit them. Go visit them. There's the QR code there that will tell you more about their services. But they meet at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Uh, Samaritan Rogers meets on Highway 102. They're at the Samaritan Community Center. You can't miss it. And then Samaritan Springdale meets down in the Plaza Shopping Center. It's in North Springdale. Uh, there where the Harps is in, in the shopping center on the west side of the street. And it's Caddy Quarter from AQ Chicken. They would love it if you popped in just to visit them to see what they're doing. Or you may have a heart to work in that kind of ministry. And they would love for you to get involved. But it's a fantastic opportunity. And uh, we're grateful to God that uh, he has given us those churches to work with. Well, today, we're going to talk about the Samaritan woman in John chapter 11, the Samaritan woman. You know, there was a time when our culture that we lived in ran pretty close to the Bible. You hear about the Judeo-Christian ethic all of our laws, our morals, our values were based on this. That's what we use to determine what is right and what's wrong. But that time is past, it seems. Because people have thrown the Bible out the window. 
And so now we see a widening divide between what we believe and this being the word of God and what the world believes. There was a time when we said here at Fellowship that we could be relevant to the culture without compromising Scripture. To say that we can be relevant to the culture is getting more and more difficult. We tend now to say we can be sensitive to the culture without compromising Scripture. We believe that we can do that. But it's getting difficult. But, but let me ask you something. Did, did Jesus, when, when those who rejected Christianity or rejected him, what he had to say, did he reject them? I was looking for an answer here. Come on, dogs. There you go. Did he reject them in turn? No. He sought them out. He went after them. He shared truth with them. And that's what you're going to see in this today. When we encounter Jesus, I want you to look at this. Next slide. When God makes himself known to us, when we encounter him, we immediately become aware of our sin and unworthiness. Never count God out of working in the heart of someone that you're trying to reach. It was true in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah was given that view of the throne room before God. And he, got, he saw God in all of his glory, high and lifted up and seated on the throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And there were angels flying. And with two, we, two wings, they covered their feet. With two, they covered their faces, humility. And two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, as we sang earlier. And at the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah said, woe to me, I'm ruined. I don't belong here because my eyes have seen the Lord Almighty. He said, I'm dirty and everyone around me is dirty. And what did the angel do? The angel went to the altar and took a live coal and touched it to his lips and said, your sin is taken away, atoned for. And then he heard the voice of the Lord. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And what did Isaiah say? Here am I. Send me. Send me. I would say that that's probably the story for every Christian in here. That you saw God. Because someone introduced you to him. You saw yourself. And then you respond. That's the question. And so let's look at the story here in John chapter 4. And I want to look first of all at verse 39. Because I want you to see the result of all this. Verse 39. You say, I don't have my Bible. It's on the screen. Well, bring your Bible so you can make notes. Bring something so you can write things down. Many of the Samaritans from that town 
believed in him because of the woman's testimony. I want you to imagine the town where you grew up or the city where you grew up and imagine that somebody came back and said, I have found Christ. I have found the answer to my dilemma. And everyone in that city or that town received Christ. Would that not have been something? A revival to take place? Wouldn't it have been incredible to be a part of? Well, that's what happened here in Sychar. He told me everything I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. So what caused all this to happen? Let's go back to verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. And so he left Judea there in the south, that's where Jerusalem was, and went back once more to the north, to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. He really didn't. Because most Jews, because they rejected the Samaritans, most Jews would not go through the heart of, of Israel, through Samaria. They would go around it so that they wouldn't have to encounter the Samaritans. They would go along the Jordan River and then back over. You see Sychar here where she was from. It's about 41 miles north of Jerusalem. But it says he had to go through Samaria. I think it was a divine appointment. I think he went through Samaria because he was going to see her. He had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. By the way, Sychar, if you hear uh, of the city of Nablus in the West Bank today where there's a lot of conflict, that's Sychar. It's very near Mount Ebal. It's very near uh, Gerizim. It's near Shechem as well. So they're, they're all right there together in Samaria. Near the plot of ground, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there. Uh, Jacob, uh, Jacob's well was there, deepest in the Middle East. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. And it was about noon. Tired as he was. Lord, get tired? Yes. There are those religions, there are those heresies that say, oh, it wasn't, Jesus wasn't a real person. He was just a sort of a spirit while he was here. Docetism teaches that. There are some religions that teach that today. But he wasn't really a man like we are. Well, he got tired. He was worn out here, and he sat down by the well, and he's waiting. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. Now, why did this woman come at noon? You see, all the other women of that day in a tradition would have come in the morning to draw water. Why did she come at noon? So she wouldn't have to be around the other women. Have you ever been in a place where you were 
despised, rejected, scorned, looked down on. That was her life. That was her life. She had three strikes against her as far as her relationship with Jesus at this point. What she could see, she was a Samaritan, she was a woman, and she was a sinner. Openly. Everyone would have known about it, and no different from today, they would have talked about it. She knew it. And he asked her, will you give me a drink? And the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then John gives us a parenthetical description. He said, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Why? What is a Samaritan? Well, you see, in 722 B.C., the Assyrians invaded the northern kingdom of Israel. We call it all Israel now, but back then it was known as Judah in the southern where Jerusalem was, and the northern kingdom was called Assyria. The Assyrians invaded that northern kingdom, and they carted off about 27,000 of the Jews who lived there, and they replaced them with Gentiles, Syrians, Persians, Gentiles. And over time, they intermarried. And syncretism took place where uh, their, their religions became one, and it wasn't the one established by God in the Mosaic Covenant. And so the Jews, the Orthodox Jews from the southern kingdom in Jerusalem, rejected them. They were half-breeds. They didn't want anything to do with them. And when she says, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan, she knew that even if he touched the cup that she was offering him for a drink, that that would have made him ritually unclean. As a matter of fact, the Jews taught that the Samaritans were unclean and they could not worship in the temple in Jerusalem. And so they built their own temple on Mount Gerizim. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. What does he say to her? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Living water. Imagine you guys were uh, uh, white water rafting this week, that cool, clear, living, running water. Throughout the scripture, that water is described as, as God's very best to give us. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water, not stagnant or stale. Sir, the woman said. Now, that's significant. That word is curious. Lord. So he's gone from being a Jew, just another Jew asking her for a drink, to Lord, sir. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? She's, she's saying, can you do better than Jacob? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst 
Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And something was stirring in her heart at that point. And she said, sir, again, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. In other words, she was saying, change my awkward predicament. Change my life so I don't have to keep coming to this place. Something within her knew her life was messed up. And so Jesus brings this to bear. He doesn't ignore it. He says to her, go call your husband and come back. And quickly she says, I have no husband. <laughs> and Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And in my mind, I imagine the two of them just looking at one another. And she's thinking, how does he know that? Jesus had tapped into his omniscience in knowing her life. But I want you to notice this. He didn't condemn her. He didn't condemn her. He met her where she was. Why didn't she walk away in a huff at that point? Because there was something drawing her. Never discount the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Whoa. We moved from sir, or Jew, to sir, or Lord, to now she's calling him a prophet. And that's significant because you see the Samaritans, they rejected all the books of the Old Testament except the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. So all the prophets that we're aware of, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all those she didn't know anything about them. The only prophet she knew of was Moses. That's going to be significant in a moment. The only prophet she knew of was Moses. And she was equating him with being a prophet. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped, past tense, worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. She changes the subject. He gets into her personal life, and so she changes the subject. Let's talk religion. Let's argue there. Let's get it off of me. And she says they worshipped on this mountain. You see, they had built a temple there on Mount Gerizim, but in 128 B.C., John Hyrcanus went and destroyed that, and so they didn't even have a place to worship. She said, our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. And that was true. That was true. You see, during the patriarchal period, one could worship anywhere. You, God did something significant. You stacked up some stones and built an altar and named the place and commemorated it. And you worship God at that altar that you created. 
And then during the Mosaic period, worship was prescribed specifically. It was a certain time, a certain place, led by certain people. Worship was regulated. But then Jesus came. And it changed everything. When he died on the cross, the curtain in the temple that separated the holy of holies from the rest of the world was ripped in two, signifying that we all have access to God. And we live in a time when you can worship anytime, anywhere, any place. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. In other words, the Christ, the Messiah, would come through the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come, and I want you to pay attention to this. Mark this, because this is the most significant statement that Jesus will make about worship in the Gospels. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. What does he mean by that? Let's make it simple. Our spirit communing with the Spirit of God, to be engaged with God. And we need to take worship out of the music box. It's not just music, is it, Seth? No. Anything you do has the possibility of becoming an act of worship. Whether you're working in the kitchen at home or whether you're working in the yard or or your job, whatever it is, if you do it from the right motive and your heart is focused on pleasing God, it can become an act of worship. Stephen read the scripture a minute ago, Colossians 3, 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. All of it can become an act of worship. Is music worship? Absolutely. But but Spurgeon had this to say about that. He said, God does not regard our voices. He regards our hearts. If our hearts don't sing, we have not sung at all. And I don't know if you're like me. I've been guilty of it. I can be singing along and not even be thinking about God. I can pray, especially when someone else is praying out loud and be totally disengaged. Am I the only one? No, we get distracted so easily. And it's about our heart being engaged with God in everything we do. We behave when we're in his presence. And so we need to stay with him all the time. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And what is the truth? This. This tells us what is good and right and appropriate. That's why we based all of our laws and our morals and our values on this book is because it's never changing. Never changes. And so that's why we don't throw our children into volcanoes and stuff like that. You know, we don't, we don't worship in that way. You might want to sometimes, but 
Or you may want to throw your parents into a volcano, you know? We don't do that because this book says it's wrong to kill. So we don't do that. We don't worship in that way. And look what happens. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will, he will explain everything to us. In other words, when he comes, when Messiah comes, he's going to straighten everything out. And look what Jesus says to her. Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. In the Greek, the word he is not there. He just said, I am. Ego me. She knew what that was. If she knew anything about Moses from the Pentateuch, she knew what I am was. And we just studied the seven I am statements. Because in the Hebrew, that is, that is what uh, Moses asked God. He said, when, when I go tell them to let my people go, who shall I tell them sent me? And he said, I am. Yahweh. In the Greek, it's ego me. He just said, I am. I'm he. And this is his first revelation of who he was to this woman. A sinful Samaritan woman. Isn't that incredible? He revealed himself as the Messiah to her. He said, I am Yahweh. And you know what that means? I always was, I am, and I always will be. He revealed himself as the Messiah. What a poignant moment. And what a moment for the disciples to return. Here they come, bounding in there with food. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? What are you talking with her about? Or why are you talking with her? Robert used to say that Jesus had a, a solid place in his head right there from going with the disciples and some of their responses. Then leaving her water jar, isn't that significant? What did she come to do? What did she come to do? Draw water. And what did she leave behind? Her water. Why? Because she had found living water. She found something that she believed was going to change her forever. She had found living, living water. Leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. He treated her with dignity. He treated her with respect. He didn't condemn her. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. And meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat you know nothing about. And the disciples turned to each other. Could someone have brought him food? It reminds us of Matthew 4. When Jesus answered the devil, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. 
that satisfied him more than anything. That quenched his thirst better than anything could have quenched it. He says, don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. And I tell you, open your eyes and look to the fields. They are ripe for harvest. He's saying there are a lot of people like this woman out there. And our job is to go get them. To go tell them. To live it out before them. And as we read the passage before, there was a celebration in the city because the people found the answer to all their questions. Don't think that the Samaritan woman found Jesus because he found her. Don't think that you found Jesus. Jesus found you. He seeks us out and he finds us and he tells us to do the same. Now, let's look at the progression of her perception. Yeah, one more. The, the progression of her perception was a Jew, sir, prophet, and then Messiah. But what about our perception of Jesus? Do you see him as a Jew, just another man? He was just someone who lived. He was a good man. That's taught in a lot of places. Served someone to be respected. Yeah, good man. A prophet, a religious figure, a figure among a long line of religious figures. There are religions around us that teach that. Or do you see him as Messiah? Has he come into your heart and changed you forever from the inside out? Do you have the hope of heaven? Because that's what he offers in his living water welling up into eternal life. You see, when God makes himself known to us, when God seeks us out and makes himself known to us, we immediately become aware of our sin and our unworthiness. Here's the big question. How will we respond? What are you going to do with it? Well, I'll tell you a good place to start. Jesus set the example for us. And we need to take a step back and look how he operated. By the way, in the series, The Chosen, it's season one, episode seven. You can watch a beautiful dramatization of this story of the Samaritan woman. I encourage you to do that. But he went on a journey through Samaria, exhausted. He sat down by a well. A woman came there to draw water. He treated her with dignity and respect, but yet he spoke truth to her and he offered her eternal life. That's our pattern. That's our pattern when we see those around us who don't believe what we believe. As the culture has moved away, we're not to reject them. We're to love them. Let the Holy Spirit do his work and trust God for the outcome. He is God. Pray with me. Oh, Lord. Give us eyes to see that the fields are ripe and ready to be harvested. Oh, Lord, when we lose hope, when we look around at this world, help us not to react in a way that mirrors what the world does. 
Lord, help us to show your love in such a way that people are drawn to it, that they're drawn to you in every way. Oh, God and Father, we're so distracted. But this passage reminds us again of your great love and your patience. And that same love you showed to this woman, you show to us. And we thank you for that.
I too am grateful for the goodness of God in the, the macro and the micro, the, the gift that he offers of salvation and then his presence every day uh, in our lives. And I'll tell you, just through my years of walking with Jesus, one of the best ways for me to experience the presence of God daily is through prayer. And if you have something that you would like someone else to join in prayer with you, you wanna be prayed with or prayed over, uh, Marcia and I will be up here. We'd love to meet you and have the honor to pray with you so you can come see us up here afterwards. Um, one way to connect would be if you are new, that's if you feel new, even if you've been here for a couple years, you're still not connected, wanna meet some staff and some of our leaders and hear what's going on. We've got our monthly newcomers gathering. Starts in about five minutes over in the student center. Uh, building. So if you have kids, you can go pick them up and then come over there. Some of our staff and leaders will be there to welcome you and get to know you and tell you a little bit more about who we are and what we do. So we'd love uh, for you to take advantage of that. And one way for all of us to serve, it's easy and very effective, and it's with some of our longstanding ministry partners, uh, the Samaritan Community Center. Every year they have a backpack drive and uh, we get to donate supplies for that so that kids can go to school with the supplies uh, that they need. And what they're asking for uh, from us this year is red and blue pens and wide ruled composition notebooks. So you can write that down, uh, set a pickup order, write a reminder in your phone, do this with your kids, uh, with those in your community, um, and let's overwhelm them with supplies. The one note would be, it says to drop off in the blue bins. Either I am colorblind or those bins are red out there, so don't look for blue bins. The red ones do just fine uh, out in the foyer, and they'll be here for a couple of weeks. Uh, as Mickey has communicated and Seth, we want our worship to be a lifestyle of worship. Even as we go, God has called us to be his ambassadors as though he was making his appeal through us. So let's slow down as we leave and say hey to someone. As we go through the community, we never know when God is trying to work through us in those moments. So I'm sure I'll see many of you tomorrow night at Orchards Park. Our family usually sits somewhere over by the Amazium. If you're gonna be there for the fireworks and want someone to hang with, come sit with us. And as we go, we love you, fellowship. Let's be the hands and feet of Jesus this week. See ya.